0: hey everybody it's jason welcome or welcome back to the mosaic church podcast at the end of this podcast please take a moment to connect with us on social media it's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at mosaic most importantly hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey enjoy so i personally have been involved with church for a lot of years now um Started going when I was a younger kid, been through a different variety of church iterations and how they um, express themselves and been involved with non-denominationals and Baptists and Lutheran and Catholic. I pretty much have been somehow involved in everything since my childhood early on. Um, And I've seen a lot of stuff. And on the church community, one of the things that I think is most beautiful about the church community when it functions the way that it's supposed to is there's this love that goes up between people that wouldn't normally love each other. So if you take a group of us right now, and we were all inside of Walmart, and you grabbed us all and say, okay, I want you guys to care about each other. It'd be kind of awkward, right? You just grab a big group of Walmart of young kids all the way to older people and everyone in between and say, okay, I want you to care about each other. The church, when it functions beautifully, actually becomes this group of people that does that, that it almost doesn't make sense, <clears throat> And in one sense, when that happens, we all take pause and say, man, churches are unbelievable. How do I get involved with the church? Like, I just want to be so much in a place that loves me no matter what. Like, what do I have to do to be there? Except that doesn't always happen. And in my experience from young age on, <clears throat> I've seen a lot. I've seen pain I've seen churches not functioning the way they're supposed to. I've seen cliques. I've seen people gossiping about each other. I've seen actually a church function more like a Walmart than it does like a church. And if you've been in church for a while, you know what I'm talking about. If this is your first experience with church, you're like, "No, this is great, like cool, awesome. Thank you." But but, but church in and of itself when it functions the way that God has intended to come together to love, to serve, to worship, And to go out in the community, it's unbelievable. However, it doesn't always do that. I have friends, I'm sure you have friends as well that say this. Jason, like, I love Jesus, but I can't stand fake community. I can't stand fake friendships. I can't stand counterfeit community. Counterfeit community looks really good on the outside. There's this term called plastics you ever heard of the term plastics from the movie Mean Girls, this idea that you're on the outside, everything's really, really great, and the inside, everything is dark. Plastics look good, they shine good, but they're not. I can't stand counterfeit community, and then the word hypocrisy comes out. Then the words like, you guys don't actually live out what you believe come out, and maybe you have those feelings right now, you've had those feelings, or you've known somebody who's had that feelings. And and to be honest, if you've been in church for a while or been engaged somehow in experience and have gone through a difficult time where someone's let you down, you can really relate. There's this famous saying among church workers, so on your side as congregants, you're like, man, that's hard being community. Let me just now speak for every church staff ever. <clears throat> I'm going to get in my soapbox for a second. There's a saying, church would be easy if it wasn't for all the people. We see the other side of church. We see you guys attacking each other. We see the hypocrisy. We ourselves have been attacked over and over again. My favorite, so please never do this to me. It's not my favorite, I'm lying. You put your heart into a sermon. Pastor, that's a great sermon. Here's seven things you did wrong in that sermon. Great, could you tell me later? Like, I just got done preaching. You know, like, Like, there are things that happen, and we see the other side of it as church staff. Man, it'd be easy if it wasn't for all the people here. But that's, not, that's when the church doesn't function the way God intended. Because the beautiful thing when God's church comes together and loves, you have diversity. You have diversity of age. You have diversity of backgrounds. You have diversity of color. You have diversity of economic status. And all these people are united through the Holy Spirit to love each other really well. But then the other part comes out. Unfortunately, the church is a group of people that aren't always their best. The church is full of a group of people who are still learning. The church is a group of people like you and me who mess up every single day. And instead of people saying, look, here's a group of community who's striving for love, who messes up, they don't see the other side when the beauty of the church is forgiveness. The beauty of the church is forgive me. The beauty of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says, you are guilty, but I let you off the hook. The beauty of the church shines brighter than anything else in the world when we love and we forgive, because that's the gospel. No Walmart group of people are going to come together and say, I forgive you simply because of Jesus Christ. No Walmart Walmart group of people we just randomly pull together is going to say, I'm going to sacrifice for you because Jesus Christ sacrificed for me. We have the power to change the world as the church. But unfortunately, some of our friends see different. Our friends will say, I love the church. I love Jesus. But the church is counterfeit community. It's not real. And I would argue this. It is real. We're just not good at it. We're trying, we're striving, we're working. And when we start to actually forgive, the church shines. I've had friends who've gone through difficult times in churches, and instead of taking the time to say, you know what, I'm going to actually try to fix the relationship or try to work through that, they run. They run away from the relationship. And when we run away from hardship, you're not actually building deep relationships. I would argue that the best relationships come when there's conflict. Now, I am an anti-conflict person my whole life. I hate conflict. I run from it. Maybe you are too. I hate tension. And then I took this thing. I became a peacemaker. I went through training in peacemaking. And I learned about a whole other idea that actually healthy conflict grows deeper relationships. Take any marriage, any husband, wife. Um, I promise that there's conflict. If there's not, see me. I do marital counseling. You're faking it. Because there's going to be conflict. (laughs) The conflict, when there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation, creates a, uh, relationships that better than, hey, how you doing? Good, good, good to see you. Through conflict and disagreement, but love and reconciliation, you take a relationship that looks like us to Jesus because we have broken the relationship. At the same time, we're creating conflict with our God. God forgives us and restores us over and over again. And now the church becomes this beautiful place of love and forgiveness. But it's hard. It's hard to build real community. And we have to define what community is and what it is not. There's this quote from Dr. John Huffman Jr. It says this: the church is more than a yacht club, a tennis club, a golf club. Granted, in those kinds of clubs, common interests are shared, and there can be a reasonably high degree of fellowship. At the same time, there's nothing more merciless than such an exclusive club when someone is down in their luck and no longer has the money with which to pay the deuce and they are out the church that functions the way it's called a function cultivates a community in which we can stand by each other even in the toughest of times this type of community looks different from everywhere else in the world everybody's in you are in you are welcome. There are no lines drawn. In any church that draws lines, it says, if you don't, then I say, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus created a place for people to come of all backgrounds. He broke down every single line that there was when he was on earth. He broke down gender. He broke down economic. He broke down everything that said, you are welcome to the family. I believe When the church functions as it's called to be as a loving community, both inside but then to outside, the gospel rings true in people's lives. Because now in the year 2020, if you haven't noticed, we are in what's called a post-Christian society. There's been movements of humans and the church since the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. And we are now moved into a place in a post-Christian, which means this. People are now being raised and they say, what religion are you? And they're called the nuns, not N-U-N, not our Catholic sisters, nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. I'm nun. When they check the box on their religion, it's called nun, along the line. It is happening in Gen Z, and the next generation, Gen Alpha, are being raised in a non-Christian, post-Christian society. And so if these people are coming in a post-Christian society, does it make sense for us To stand on a street corner and say, John 3.16 tells you this, it might, but they don't know what John 3.16 is. They don't know what John is. They don't know what the 3, they don't know what the 16 is. They have no religious backgrounds. They don't know what a Bible is. They have no understanding even of the basics of the faith of the gospel. But this is what people do and will understand. A community that loves, a community that serves, a community that's focused on the gospel. Because it's not just words being said, but it's our life being lived into the community. The nuns, N O N E S, nuns, I should say nuns, it sounds clear. The nuns, this generation of people are the ones calling authentic community something to step back and look at. Because in this generation, which is now the technological revolution, the technological revolution, whether we like it or not, has overtaken our world in the last 30 years. Like it or not, you all have a phone in your pocket, like it or not, everybody right now streaming on Facebook, all of you are using some form of technology to be a part of us. This is a revolution that's not going to go away. And in this new digital reality, life is shifting. People's beliefs are shifting. Information is everywhere. You can Google search anybody. Why are you listening to me when you can listen to somebody else who's way more famous and written 55 books? Like, what's the purpose of the church moving forward? Maybe we have to go back to our roots, go back to what happened in the book of Acts when a group of people who just had each other loved, cared, and served each other and took the gospel out into the world. Today, we're going to be jumping through a couple of thoughts. It's a great note-taking Sunday for all of you note-takers. If you're not a note-taker, I know you have photographic memory. Remember all of my points as soon as you walk out of here. But this is a fantastic time. We're going to be looking at multiple scriptures to look at the reality of community. If we can understand community, authentic, real community, you now are the advocate of the gospel that says we are a church. I am the church that says I love through what I do. I love through what I say. I love through who I am because of what Jesus has put into me. But there's a few realities. First of all, real community is messy real community is messy there's nothing clean about authentic real community real community means we have to go places that you typically don't want to go real community means that we are going to have irritations with each other joy with each other high with each other low with each other real community means more than a high and a wave it means actually hanging out sometime and being with each other real community has conflicts real community in the church, looks different. Romans 12, verses 17 to 18, knows that there's difficulty in the church. It says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love this verse because when someone makes me mad, I just want to punch them in the face. Inside of me gets this anger built up, frustration. I'm like, oh, I'm just so angry about stuff. And this verse is something I've heard for years. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. There are a whole lot of not-peace relationships in this room right now. And peace with everybody means that you are a peacemaker. Our next series, starting in two weeks, is all about the Sermon on the Mount. And one of those things, God calls peacemakers blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are the one who comes in and says, hey, let's settle this. Let's be cool. Now, I want to share a little bit between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is something we're mandated by Jesus. Forgiveness is me just saying, I forgive you. I let you off the hook. I let it go. It's forgiveness. Reconciliation is the reuniting of our relationship, putting it back to where it was before the offense. And Paul's instructions here in Romans... And what Jesus is teaching is you must forgive everyone who offends you, hurts you. You must forgive. Do it best you can to reconcile. This is why. Reconciliation takes two people. In the world of counseling, we talk about reconciliation. You and another person must together in a safe way look at the offense together, own your parts, and rebuild and reattach the relationship. There's a reattachment. Forgiveness is just you. That person never has to do a thing, say a thing. You just forgive. Forgiveness releases you. You are released. So when Jesus commands you to forgive, he tells you to forgive because he's forgiving you a lot. And so that's part of our mandate. Reconciliation is relational of doing the best we can to be at peace with one another. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes the other person doesn't want forgiveness in the way that you're offering, or the connection, I mean, excuse me, does not want the connection the way you do. They don't come to the table. And so that's why do the best you can. But imagine this, even if you don't reconcile, that person's still forgiven. It's still love. Real community is messy. Real community is messy because we try to come to a place where we pretend like we have it all together. But real community breaks into that to allow you to not have to have it all together. Real community, which is part of our, uh, what we talk about in our core values, we have a core value called authentic community, it's okay to not be okay, allows you to fail. It allows you to say, I'm not all right, my marriage is not all right, I'm not doing good. It allows you to take the plastic off when you walk into here and say, we're struggling, I need help. Real community says, I'm in that mess with you authentic real community is in the mess together however real community is hard i think why it's so hard is that we're afraid of gossip we're afraid of what people will say and again back on some of your experiences some of my friends have been gossiped about lied about talked about i have been gossiped about lied about talked about crazy stories i'm like how did you even make that up like where did that come from and you know the old game. Remember you guys, the game, the telephone game when you were kids, and you'd sit in a big, long line, right? Kids, you ever play cat telephone game? Yeah, okay. We, like, yeah, you guys know, right? You sit in a big, long line, and you whisper in one person's ear, you say, hey, the word is, I love pizza. And the next person says, I love pizza. And the next person says, I hate pizza. And all of a sudden, at the end of it, it's like, Jason loves macaroni and cheese only on Thursdays. And you're like, how did that... How in the world did that happen? Because we lose information as we pass it on. And the telephone game inside of the church has broken people's spirits. They said, I don't want to, so you, I don't want to be part of it. So I step back and I'm afraid of being honest and real. And I get it. Because my being real has left me in some broken places too. I've trusted people who have let me down. However, that's not a reason to give up on the church. Because that person's broken, just like I'm broken. And now my practice of forgiveness and working through that mess and dealing with it, it makes me more like Christ. Like, I'm just always enamored with Jesus when he sits before these group of men. And this is during the Passion Week, or he's going to the cross. And he's before these people, and they're just like throwing all these insults at him. And they're like making fun of him. And he doesn't say a word. He just sits there. And like, how does Jesus sit there when all these people are throwing insults at him? He's the king of kings, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. Uh, You know, like, it's good I'm not Jesus, but gone. Like, I would be the wrong Jesus in this story, right? But he just sits there taking it. And they're spitting him, and they're mocking him, they're doing all this. I'm like, Jesus, how do you do that? How do you then, when you are hanging on a cross, dying, being murdered for something, for a crime you didn't commit, Sit next to a dude who's making fun of you on a cross, dying next to you, and the guy next to you says like, "Hey man, he's the King." You turn like, "You're forgiven," and then say, "God, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." Like if Jesus can do that, you want to talk about messy community? That's unbelievable. So when I'm dealing with people who talk about me, when I'm dealing with people who are spitting in my face, when I'm dealing with people who, as I feel like I'm dying or like sticking a knife in me, I'm just like Jesus. We are just like Jesus. Because when I read the scriptures and I see what he does, I'm like, Jesus, that's insane. How can you do this? But then if we do it as a church family, everybody turns their head and says, how can you do that? That person shouldn't be forgiven. You should get revenge on them. You should fill in the blank, but that's not the church. The church is built for something much more beautiful than that. I think that one of our struggles in us being authentic and us being willing to go to that place, that vulnerability, is because you're afraid. You're afraid of what happens, and I get that. I remember the first time when I was in Sixth grade, I dated young, sixth grade. There's a girl in my class who was the cutest sixth grader God ever created, I swear. And like, I just would sit there in class and this was like that kind of infatuation, like if she like touched your paper and said, hey, good job on your test. You're like, yeah, thank you. You know, like red and blushing and like, you know, little, little baby Jason's loving this, right? So I, I remember, I remember what it felt like when we went to the skate, school skate. So school skates, they used to like actually roller skate back in the day and we go to these school skates and there's things called skating rinks, um, Gen Z's like whatever. So there's, and you'd go in school skates which was a really good idea, let's have elementary school kids hook up and like skate with somebody holding their hand on the Moonlight Skate. Now the Moonlight Skate was this awesome terrible time because if you're cool you're in, if you're not you're me. So. <laughs> We're on this school skate, and and I just wanted to ask her so bad. And so I I, I get the urge of, I I say, okay, okay, I'm going to ask her. I went over there. My hands are all sweaty, and like I'm just sweating buckets. I have like big stains under my shirt, you know. And I'm like, "Would, would you skate with me? And she looks me square in the eyes and says, no. My little sixth grade heart broke in half. That feeling of rejection obviously I remember now all these years later. And again, and again, and again. And the more you get rejected, the more you get hurt. The more hurt, the more you get rejected. And these start to build up over time. And you now build a wall around you that nobody is going to touch. And anytime anyone gears near rejection, hurting, fear, as soon as they get near to this place, you say, I'm gone. And you leave. You leave the relationship. You leave the community. You leave the job. Let me challenge us to say that there are going to be hurts at Mosaic. I just want to set you up well. We're a loving community. We're an authentic community. We're striving for it. But I am going to mess up. Nick is going to mess up more than me. We are going to hurt you. Know our hearts. It's not intentional. We're humans. Where you can look me in the face and Nick or any of us And and you're trying to have forgiveness, and then we don't. That's on us. But know that real community will be messy, and you are going to hurt each other. And there's going to be real relationship, which when we work through it, creates a juggernaut that says, now we're like Jesus. We've worked through it, and we're growing. As it is possible, as far as it depends on you, we're told in Romans, live at peace with everyone. Next point is real community refines. Living with each other refines us. A real authentic community is going to take who you are and challenge you in ways that you're not necessarily ready for, you'd say. But then again, is any challenge, are you really ready for it? Real community is going to refine you and have you become somebody that you didn't think you could be. Now, through my times, and we'll just use church as an example, of having to go through some very difficult situations, because I started in church as just a young man in my early 20s with a bunch of older people. Now, th- this is just a statement. There's no uh, judgment here, but we'll just use my example. Typically, older people think younger leaders are dumb because we are. So I didn't know what I was doing, but I sure thought I was, knew what I was doing, right? So I would come into those with, like, hey, I've got 85 ideas. I know that are going to work. And there would be wisdom coming from people. And I'm like, no, 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 you guys are wrong. My way's better. I wouldn't listen to them. And sure enough, they were right and I was wrong. And then it made me mad. And I would go back to this group of loving older people who are leaders pouring into me. And they said, Jason, your idea wasn't bad, but there's better. And they would refine me. And that relationship of correction made me who I am today. And I still have those relationships of correction in my life because I am still not good at this. Now, I'm assuming you're struggling like I am, but I want to become more like Jesus. So when I have people in my life who are refining me and challenging me and pushing me, I become more like him. But that refining hurts. It hurts. There's the other side of being refined by the church, of just calling sin for sin. It's not just leadership, it's sin. Inside of the church, friends, if you are sinning, if we don't tell you and call it out, we don't love you. I know you don't want to hear that. You prefer to say, oh, you'd never tell me and we're just going to shake hands. I'm telling you this, if we don't call sin for sin, it's not love, according to scripture. Jesus loved us too much. Loved us way too much. Died on a cross. He did everything to eradicate sin. And when we keep sinning, if I love you, I got to say, brother, sister, please stop. It's hurting you. It's hurting others. It's spreading this terrible cancer of, Sin into the world. And the scriptures are clear about this as well. Within the church we are called to refine each other. Matthew eighteen, fifteen through seventeen says this If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So this is what it's saying. Inside of a a church body, those who call on Christ, we have an obligation. Matthew 18 sets up, this is how we take care of sin within the church. If I love you, I'm going to call brother, sister, please stop. You're sinning. It's the wrong way. It's the wrong path. You're doing the wrong thing. You're hurting people. If we don't do that, I'm not loving you're not loving. But also notice this. When you do this, because this is the other part of church, right? Everybody who's sinned right now, stand up and tell me your sins, right? All right. We're not going to leave here today. To Everybody confesses their sins. And you have this really scary moment like, I don't know. I cheated on my taxes. And they sit down, you know, like they like, you have this weird, like everyone's judging you moment of church. And if you sin, you feel like, every, like these spotlights are on you. Or perhaps someone's coming to you and say, hey, you're sinning. Here's 15 verses of why I'm better than you are, and I'm not doing what you're doing, so you're really gross, but you're sinning, but I'm not. And so they feel judged. Perhaps the situation has been you're sitting where, and you know you're in the wrong, and a person's talking to everybody about that sin. And they're spreading these rumors around about you and saying, oh my goodness, did you hear about so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden you have like 10 people who are in your prayer group if you've been in a prayer group, would you please pray for Nick in these five sins he's committing? I'm really nervous for him. All of a sudden, 10 people know about his sins when it was shared in confidence to you, and now 10 people say, we're nervous about the sins you're making. That's not what the scripture says. Scripture says this, if your brother or sister sins, go to them one-on-one in love. Go with the humility of the fact that Christ has forgiving you of all things. Then after that, and they listen to you, You've won them over, which means that you have spoken truth, they've heard the truth, and they've repented. Repenting is turning away from sin, not accepting it or trying to squeeze it into your life. Repentance is, I repent, I'm no longer doing that. If they don't listen to you, then we have an option. We're going to bring someone with me, which means leadership. You don't bring your sister with you who's in fifth grade. Like, you bring someone in leadership with you and say, look, friend, you're sinning. We need to talk to you about this. Then, if they don't do that, you're still not gossiping and talking about people. Then you take them to the church, and then you go to church leadership. Notice that we're not even involved yet in church leadership at this point. It's you. You in love are doing this. Church leadership, I'm going to tell Jason, you know, like, like that's not how this works. We're supposed to refine each other, friends. When the church functions this way, it's happening in our small groups, it's happening over coffee. It's happening in life because we believe so much that a sinless life, as much as we can get to it, brings life into us versus letting someone keep going down their dark path of destruction. Then it comes to the church. And at the church, we call it for what it is. And then in the final moment, we say, okay, here's the call. If you don't want to do this, I don't know what to tell you. Do you even know the gospel of Jesus? And there are times... That church gets really messy in these. But let me challenge us to this. It's also beautiful and refines us. Because when it refines us, it's helping us to become more like Christ. Our next point is how community, real community, heals. Galatians 6 2 has a beautiful verse about what the church community and healing looks like. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love, the law of forgiveness, the love of reconciliation with God. Carry each other's burdens. It's very easy to just simply say, oh yeah, I can help. You go, you do a little something, you go back to your way. Carrying someone's burdens means that I have a huge 50-pound weight on my back and it's dragging me down. And you come alongside me and say, hey, put 25 on my back and I will carry it with you. Carry each other's burdens. What we can't do is take your burden away from you. That doesn't even make sense. But a lot of times, we try to be fixers and say, oh, I'll take all the pain for you. Give me all the work. I'll take care of it. And then you don't have to carry anything. But that's not true. In counseling, we talk about this idea that when someone is in pain, someone's struggling, they're carrying a heavy load or a rock. My job when I'm doing counseling is to take the rock from you to show you how to set it down. I don't take it and carry it on and on and on. Because at that point, could you imagine how many rocks I'd be carrying in counseling? But this isn't counseling. This is church family. Church family says, I walk with you through it. I'm in it with you to the end. I want to be with you, to walk with you, to help you all the way to the end. That means that if you are out 100 miles and we gotta swim to shore, I'm jumping in the water to walk with you, encourage you, swim with you. What do I have to do to help you to get to that end? Real community heals. This is the beauty of the church. I've watched a church walk with people through cancer. I've watched a group of people who before that time maybe didn't talk as much, weren't as connected, walk with families, through chemo. If you've known anybody who've gone through that, that it's one of the darkest evils in our world is cancer. And I've watched the church family say, I'm with you. I got you. Walk with them financially, walk with them encouragement, walk with them, be with them, come and watch their kids so that there could be a moment when the person going through chemo can just have a bit of rest. I've watched the church do things so unbelievable. I've watched the church help people through financial ruin. I've watched friends and family within church come together and say, what can we do to help you? I know you lost your job. You can't pay your bills. We've got you. What do we have to do? I've seen meal upon meal upon meal be sent out to people who are hurting. I've watched beautiful people with the gift of cooking say, I don't have a lot to offer, but I can, I can cook till tomorrow's the day. Um, and I can cook, cook, cook. And they'll make these meals and they'll send meals to new moms. They'll send meals to those who are in the hospital. I've seen the church have countless hours of walking with people in coffee shops, in the church hallways, for us outside on our cement until it gets cold. I've watched the beauty of the church, and the church that heals is a church that I want to be a part of. I can't imagine being part of a community anywhere outside of here that functions this way, Yes, there's other great organizations, and yes, organizations do wonderful things. I'm not disrespecting them, I'm talking about ours. I'm talking about what God has brought together as his church family. The beauty of the church family, when it walks together, heals in ways that you can't even imagine. But I I just want to make this clear. It's not me. It's you. That's my breakup. It's not me. It's you. It's not staff. It's not team leaders it's you. It's when you function this way. Because one man or one woman only has a circle so far. And I believe the death of churches that are happening in a post-Christian society are multiple tiers, but one of them is the worship and reliance on a pastor to do everything. My friends are burning out. My friends are quitting. There's an estimated 60,000 churches we're going to close because of COVID. Majority of them from burnout from pastors. We have to create a community that is not pastor-centric, leader-centric, but community-centric. So that we as a church community take the mission of God forward together. We're all in this together. Because now the healing and these beautiful things are happening, not from a program, but from you. That you own and love the idea that a beautiful church community, you step in, you help, you give. And then when I hear stories like, I didn't know that was happening. That's awesome, which I would encourage you happens now. I don't know everything that's happening. I don't know about all the coffees. I don't know about the meals going out. But when I hear the stories, I'm like, praise God that we are being a community that heals. Carry each other's burdens in Galatians 6 to it says. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Real community, for our next point, helps 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this so well. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. We see in 1 Thessalonians this idea that we need to help people on the way. Not only do we serve and we walk with them, we help. It's your hands, it's your feet, it's your life, it's your time. It's your time. I can't tell you how encouraging it is when people respond in mass numbers, in mass help when people who are hurting to see people jump in. I can't tell you how encouraging it is, and you know this if you've been a part of it, when people are disheartened, when people are weak, that the church steps in and says, we've got you, we will carry you. Real community helps when things are struggling. Now you're like, okay, this sounds great. This is like Utopia Church and everything. I like the way you're thinking. And, you know, the cool thing about church plants is we just kind of make stuff up in the beginning, right? (laughs) You know, if you're an older church, you got to kind of like change stuff. You know, we're like, ah, we just make it up as we go. That's the joy of being one year old. But one of the things I love most of all is that this is the DNA that we started with. We started with a group of people who came from different backgrounds, different thoughts, and said, what does it look like to have authentic community? Is it okay if I'm not okay? I've been in environments where that's not okay to not be okay, the plastics. I said, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I believe the heart of what I see, the church of Jesus Christ, is not to celebrate the fact that we're not okay, but to come to the cross on our knees because we're not okay and have that brokenness before the gospel that Christ gave to us that we have hope because of what he's done for us. And in my brokenness, I sit here and I find a new place of Jesus' love and encouragement, and then all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by a group of believers walking with me. That's the type of church I want to be a part of. So it's in our DNA of a community that is authentic. But again, it's you. Finally, a real community gives. A real community is not one that takes, depending on your backgrounds and friends online, depending on where you are sitting, potentially not even with church at this moment, That a real community is about giving. As a pastor, I've had uh, opportunities, we'll say, look at my positive uh, words there, opportunities for people to give me feedback about the 17 things they want to have done at our church. Hey, I love your church, but if you did these 17 things, then we'd become members, they'd say, or we'll start attending. And I go, okay, no. And then they don't come back, right? If you would do these things, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. What I love about our family right now is you're here because you love it, not because you're comfortable. You're sitting on school cafeteria chairs in a little box room that's always too hot or too cold, depending if I mess up the thermostat. Like, this is not like a cushy feel idea. But people who walk into the church and say, I'm looking and shopping for what's best for me and exactly what I want. Now, there are churches... And we celebrate the differences of who we are. I understand that. I respect that. And I celebrate that as well. But a real community doesn't come to take. It comes to give. It comes to say, what can I do to be a part of it? how God made me in my own special way to give back into the community? Hebrews thirteen sixteen says this, And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. We are supposed to give out to us, into your community, and out into the world. To much is given, much is expected. So we have the ability to give out and give to others. Think of a church community that where every single person attending, no matter how big or small the church is, everyone's there to give. Now, giving comes how God made you. It can come from encouragement. You're the encourager. It can come from music. I'm a musician. It can come from, look, I just love hospitality, you do hospitality. There's a trillion different ways to give back to people. It could be time during the week meeting with single young moms who are trying to figure out how to make it. It could be meeting with men who are struggling, men in a larger group of saying, let's do this together, and you give that way. It could be by offering small things, small tokens. It could come in a trillion ways. And the beauty of Mosaic is we're not going to make a program for you to figure it out. Because we're valuing you. It's always people over programs. Because we want to invest in you to make you a disciple maker to understand that real community, when you're a disciple maker, gives out. Imagine a church that is authentic, that's okay with being messy, that loves each other, that helps and that gives. Could you see a post Christian world saying, What's up with them? I do. Church is a place for us to be real. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through. doesn't matter your economic status. doesn't matter the color of your skin. Church is a place where we're supposed to be real. But friends, I want to challenge us on this. If we are an authentic community, be ready for what God brings into your life, into your story, as there are so many hungry people looking for real relationships. In a digital revolution, the thing that the world is asking for are real, authentic relationships. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world Visit us at mosaicwi.com.